Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this episode, two ladies from the OD Foundation, Open Dialogue Foundation. What on earth does the Open Dialogue Foundation have to do with Bitcoin? And why is this so critically important that we as a community can come together and help support them in any way that we can? Because right now they are on the front lines of fighting regulators in the European Union against these policies that are being pushed down or trying to be pushed down onto Bitcoin, such as a ban of proof of work mining, such as like wording such as unhosted wallets that are, um, you know, trying to be portrayed as uh, a tool for money laundering. They are there face to face, toe to toe with the regulators trying to inform them and educate them in the best way possible, which is the Bitcoin way. How did they find Bitcoin? Why did they find Bitcoin? What, what did a kidnapping have to do with this? What did torture have to do with it? Why were they both debanked? Why are they both political refugees? Why are they both fighting as hard as they can tooth and nail to make sure the right policies are put in place? Because policy makers are going to policy make. Right. So it's they're taking the charge to them and trying to make sure that the right education is getting to the right people. So give this one a listen. If there's any way at all that you can add some kind of help value to to this foundation and to their cause, please step up. Please throw your hat in the ring. All links will be in the show notes of how to reach out and how to um, join the conversation. And uh, a big shout out to uh, any of the plebs in the past that have put any time and effort into helping this foundation a big shout out to obi nuosu and mark morton in this show who both went along to try and explain proof of work mining and why it is actually not bad for the environment to uh, dozens of policymakers this year or last year in in the the eu so yeah like i say very important topic and uh you know a breath of fresh air to to listen to such hope and such optimism from uh from two ladies doing great work on the front lines here so enjoy this rip please make sure you are supporting the show sponsors as well we've got swan bitcoin over in the us set up your dca with swan or smash buy speak to their financial advisory service over there in europe we have relay r-e-l-a-i.ch doing great work as well you can start buying up to a thousand swiss or equivalent per day just by downloading the app. You have Hoddle Hoddle, global peer-to-peer non-KYC trading and lending platform. Up your privacy using wasabiwallet.io, that is a coin join service, and Bitbox. Hey, uh, an unhosted wallet. Yeah, you heard it. Get your unhosted wallets, but ladies and gentlemen. Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only hardware wallet. Take self-custody. Track your transactions on Mempool. Check out the uh, the current fees as well. Mempool.space. See what's going on. Get on Orange Pill app. Connect with your plebs 
and enjoy this episode. All right, we are recording. We've got uh, Bota and uh, Lyudmila from the Open Dialogue Foundation. I've rescued Lauren here. So what, what, what's your first question, Lauren? What is Open Dialogue Foundation? So, hello, everyone. Um, thank you very much for, for uh, inviting me and my colleague Bota. Open Dialogue Foundation is a human rights organization, uh, international human rights organization. We established back in 2009. We work in um, many countries, uh, mainly Eastern Europe, Central Asian countries, when it comes about defense of political prisoners, politically persecuted people. So people who criticize the government and been severely tortured or imprisoned for many, many years. And we became a voice for these people. We also do a lot of international advocacy. So we bring these voices who unfortunately doesn't have uh, any support in their country. We bring their voices on international area. And this is uh, where we work over a decade with members of uh, European Parliament, US government, US Senate, Congress. Uh, we basically work on inter-parliamentary assemblies which unites 57 member states like Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And our goal to find loopholes, uh, you know, different kind of weak places in international agreements, which are abused by international, um, uh, we call them criminals, dictators, cooperating to each other, and who tries to silent voices of uh, civil society, dissidents, and, and opposition uh, in democratic countries who flee from uh, their countries because of oppression. Yeah, and I'll just add that, uh... Um, hi, everyone, and my name is Bota, and I'm originally from Kazakhstan, but now I'm a political refugee and I live in uh, Brussels, Belgium. And uh, we've, we've been working with uh, Luda for over 10 years on the issues that uh, Luda just described. And um, especially we worked a lot on political advocacy, on human rights advocacy uh, in uh, uh, here in Belgium with the EU institutions, but also around um, member states of the EU, as well as the US, Canada, and other what we call, you know, uh, kind of Western countries, right? Western democratic countries. And we work on a very diff uh, difficult issues. So it's issues political prisoners when we need to release people. And uh, uh, our big problems come that we work uh, on defense of, of the opposition in uh, in post-Soviet countries, and usually we get attacked quite a bit uh, by those regimes for the work that we are doing. Hmm. Okay, Lot, lots to go on here, and I'm sure people are wondering how Bitcoin ties into all of this, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, did you want to say um, goodbye for now? Yep. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Bye, bye. Bye. Okay, thank you. Right, okay. Just uh, one question. <laughs> pardon? Just one question. Yeah, just <laughs> Well, it, if I let her ask all the questions, I wouldn't have a podcast left. <laughs> <laughs> but we like when, uh, you know, kids and uh, teenagers learn about our work. Human rights, we, yes, yeah. especially. Uh, yeah, we, it's um, it's important. Yeah, very, very important. And I, I hope that uh, well, Caitlin, my oldest daughter, already had a chat with Miller the other day, and she's actually going to be talking with uh, Alex Gladstein as well from the Human Rights Foundation soon, uh, because she's being 
pulled into um, this kind of these kind of topics are interesting her and it's uh-huh. brilliant for me to see because I can say oh yeah Bitcoin fixes this and uh, instead of her just roll her eyes and say no it doesn't Bitcoin doesn't fix everything getting to have discussions with uh, you know the people like yourself that are actually there using Bitcoin to help these people uh, is going to be very fundamental in you know young people's understanding of the power of Bitcoin not it just being oh, it's going to the moon and, you know, we're all going to get rich and drive Lambos. You know, this isn't what we're here for. We're here for the humanitarian yeah. side of things, the sociological change, the uh, the psychological change it has in people and it, empowering people again, giving people back the power of the their medium of exchange rather than being forced to use something under the legal tender laws that uh, entrap us and enslave us to the uh, the government's choice of fiat currency and have them manipulate it and inflate it and put interest rates on it whenever they like. So yes, this is what I'm here for. I love it. I love what you're doing. And I want to ask more questions about it and get everybody up to speed on on how they might be able to help you in particular as well. So I would say what are, um, well, let's start with Bitcoin first. So let's say, how did Bitcoin enter into you know your lives and uh you, you can go first i guess Ota, and um you can explain to us how bitcoin presented itself to you and um how you started you know interacting with it and why and then we'll get uh Lyud miller's story too yeah um so it, I, I have to say that our story luda's story and mine they run in parallel because we worked together together for so many years and um uh, there are a lot of lines of attacks that we had experienced, they, they're very much similar. And um, as I already mentioned, I'm a human uh, rights defender who has political asylum in Belgium, and I was attacked by uh, my home country, Kazakhstan, for a number of years. And they tried to extradite me from Belgium, it didn't work. Uh, then they they sent people, uh, like hired agents and federal police, and actually um, arrested, detained uh, three people, two German nationals and one Russian, and uh, they were later sentenced by uh, Belgium cre- uh, criminal court because they were um, on the Belgium soil trying to locate me and basically with an attempt of uh, kidnapping. And wow. um, uh, can, I, can I just ask why? Mm-hmm. What 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 had you done in their eyes that was so bad that they needed to? send people across to kidnap you and take you back to Kazakhstan? I was, um, what I've done from their perspective, uh, that I was very effective in defending uh, the members of Kazakh opposition. And I basically became a voice of uh, uh, Kazakh civil society, of Kazakh opposition, kind of a link between uh, people on the ground in Kazakhstan, victims of torture, political prisoners and their families, and the uh, Western institutions, uh, European parliament, uh, parliaments of uh, other member states, and I would deliver their messages there. Then I also helped people um, around member states to put together legal teams and uh, fight against uh, politically motivated extradition. 
Um, so, if I may just add yeah. uh, more human stories, so yeah. <laughs> wife and six-year-old daughter of uh, prominent opposition from Kazakhstan was kidnapped back in 2013 from Italy by private jet by, organized by Kazakhstan. And Bota was the only person who was able to do uh, basically uh, collecting testimonies for, from these women. And yeah. this is how Kazakh government learned about Bota, like because she was uh, working with Open Dialogue Foundation for years, but anonymously. She was our key lawyer who helped us to defend dozens of uh, victims of torture, political prisoners in international institutions, but we didn't know each other personally. And after we, we usually communicated by Skype under nicknames. Yes, exactly. we collect information from Kazakhstan and uh, yes, you know yeah. put it in the format that uh, international organization needed and deliver it to Ludmila, and that's how we communicated. So and you were the, you were the, thorn you were a thorn in their side because you were very effective and good at yes. your job yeah. at defending the people that needed legal aid. Yes, exactly. and, and when uh, the kidnapping happened, I um, and that woman, she was delivered uh, under house arrest in Kazakhstan, and I contacted her via Skype and took her testimony about how it happened and, uh, you know, about all the events. And uh, basically, like, I think next day I was already in, in Interpol. All, all, all newspapers in Kazakhstan <laughs> as a, like labeled as a criminal. And then yeah. uh, a little bit later, uh, the, uh, Kazakhstan requested put me on the uh, most wanted list of the Interpol and Interpol issued a red notice against me. Later that red notice was cancelled by Interpol because they recognized that it was politically motivated uh, persecution. But, you know, for uh, some period of time, I was actually on the Interpol list and um, and I had red notice issued against me. And uh, that's that actually happens uh uh, quite often, with respect to um, political activists and human rights defenders. So this is something that happened to a lot of our colleagues. And in different countries. Yeah. From different countries, from absolutely different countries. And this is what led us to create a coalition. And uh, for a number of years, we were fighting to uh, reform Interpol, this powerful international organization, and it has actually been reformed, and it's now the organization itself is way more aware about uh, political abuses that uh, it's subjected to by many, many countries. Yeah. Mm. But the Queen, how it was possible, this is super important to know. It's actually done by different regime on the basis of abuse of anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism uh, regulations, different agreements. This is how they immediately can um, accuse someone in doing mm -hmm. money laundering, extremist activity, terrorist activity. This is all of us as activists accused on. And then we end up first being searched by Interpol, then get all of our banking data without any remedies. And this is, for example, what happened with me, with Bota. With Bota, it was Kazakhstan who was taking her and weaponized her banking data, led even yeah. to the case that her brother was uh, arrested, severely tortured in Kazakhstan.
Yeah, so you 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 just yeah. can both you, you you know uh, Kazakhstan accused me in money laundering, right? And that kind of opens them a lot of venues how they can uh, persecute a person, mm -hmm. and uh, they requested uh, my banking information from Belgium and Fetch. Unfortunately, they received it. They couldn't get information about me when they sent agents, right? And agents were physically. Uh, detained and sentenced, but what they did, like when you uh, when you uh, banking information gets exposed to an unfriendly regime, it basically it's a roadmap to your life, right? Like like just think about what uh, what you have on your bank statement, everything, everything. Who is your doctor? Where you go? Where you have dinners? Where your kids go? Where uh, like, like who you have connection with, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Uh, so it becomes a very, very powerful weapon uh, that they can basically recreate your life with. So they're just and leveraging then, this like AML, um, anti-money laundering law. They're just right. They can just point the finger at anyone and say that lady, she's a money launderer. Exactly. And report you to Interpol and Interpol have to act as if you truly are a money launderer without any kind of due diligence at all. They just go straight out and... Uh, there, there is a presumption that, uh, mm. you know, all countries, basically, like, like, like most of the countries of the world, they're members of Interpol, right? It's an international organization. It's a, uh, uh, and a lot of people think that it's uh, some kind of, there is Interpol police running around, agents investigating. They have a unit related to drug trafficking, but it's very small. But in general, it's a, it's a uh, mailbox. It's a bulletin board where all the states, they can just send the information and uh, then, um, you know, someone in Lyon or actually in local offices in the, of Interpol in, in those countries, they receive this information. It's a, almost check the box, right? You have to put what are the charges, you have to put information about the person, some personal data, picture if you have. And basically that's it. And then this information goes to Lyon and then gets published in one of the uh, one of the databases of Interpol. And, you know, it depends on uh, in what kind of database they want you to put, because sometimes it's just tracking of people. Mm. For example, they want to know when that when particular person crosses the border, for right. example, right? But uh, so it's kind of, it's called red flagging, right? But then you have red notice and red notice is basically arrest that person yeah. immediately. And this is a moment when we started to ask ourselves mm. what we can do, how we can protect our banking data, our financial data, because the moment when you have support for foreign governments, the moment when you have protection. So what I was not uh, kidnapped, she was protected by Belgian police, right? She got political asylum. Um, basically, everyone in different parliaments know about her case, about case what's happened with her brother, but we wanted to find some kind of solution. And also, Bota, you didn't mention that your banking was also terminated. Oh uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know when you get attacked, you like like um, there's a term that we all human rights defenders very much familiar with, but people don't use. It's called transnational repression. And transnational repression, this is when authoritarian states, they persecute people, it's uh, opposition, political activists, or people like us, human rights defenders, on the territory of uh, Western states, right? So they take their persecution on your territory. 
And it can be in various forms. It's from kidnapping, from spying, from hacking, from uh, you know politically motivated uh, extradition requests. But it also comes in the form of a smear campaigns. Basically, right now it's very easy to destroy somebody's reputation, right? It's uh, and for a state, it it really requires minimum resources, especially in countries where they control all the media. They basically publish a lot, a lot of negative information about you. And it's really, it's, it's the point is that it's just to have that every time when somebody Googles you, you have only negative information. This is something they sometimes even hire companies and do um, Google search engine uh, optimization, they call it. Optimization, it means that any real and positive information about a person gets like, like on page 10, and everything negative that is basically on some kind of unknown websites and various languages, it gets on top. And this is what those states do. And when you are subjected to this smear campaign, and I was subjected to a, a smear campaign and it's still happening in uh, five different languages. Ludmila actually was subjected week <laughs> because 26 we, languages. We did the search in, 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 yes. in 27, in 27. Ah, yes, 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 yes. In no, 27 languages, yeah. You probably, some of us don't even know, like, like cannot name 27 different languages. But uh, the problem with that what, uh, is that they're trying to make you toxic, right? So uh, you, like donors afraid of you, uh, other human rights organization uh, kind of become very... Uh, concerned about you, what is true, what is not true. And then politicians, you know, they, they take these articles and specifically bombard uh, members of, for example, European Parliament, it was in my case, uh, with those uh, articles and saying that don't meet with that person. This person is a very dangerous criminal. Mm. And, and uh, this is how they try to destroy reputation. Uh, in one sense, but then there is a, um, another uh, problem is that this information, all this negative information picked up by banks. Because right now, you know how the system works. Basically, uh, banks, they do their due diligence on a client, right? And uh, usually this information gets into uh, this um, large organization, they, um, they run databases basically on everyone <laughs> around the world. It's like world check, right, or affinity. And so uh, banks buy this information from them and they see this negative information and what they decide, they usually don't want to deal with you because you are not a, a, an extremely wealthy oligarch. They, they're not gonna make a lot of money on you. And uh, they basically terminate uh, your banking. And you get what it's called de-risked because they deem you as a, a risk client. They don't wanna deal with you. Uh, you don't get, uh, you get a letter one day that uh, this particular bank doesn't want you as a client anymore. And then you you have your bank accounts closed, and uh, you cannot open a bank account anymore. And in this, Europe, in Europe, yeah, this is everything and, happened in Europe. Okay, and it's this, not Kazakhstan. This happened to me. This happened to Ludmila, and mm. that basically became a point when we started thinking about the problems of 
uh, ML abuses and the problem of financial exclusion because it it's you know it happened to us we, we started thinking if it happened to us it probably happens to a lot of people and we realize that it happens to a lot a lot of people Lyudmina, do, do you want to explain uh what happened to you and yes. why and then we've got both of uh we've got both of your stories sure. there and then we sure. can build on uh, the Absolutely. Bitcoin narrative so what what i described in my case it was um like Three, three times more, because since we as organization, as Open Dialogue Foundation, work in many countries and we defend in political prisons in many countries, um, we specifically back in 2018 were very successful for putting restrictions on human rights uh, issues specifically on several countries. For example, we succeed to have... Um, conditions on macrofinancial aid from the European Union to Moldova, because at that time it was controlled by oligarch Plachatnyuk, with the condition release political prisoners, otherwise money would not be given. The same in case of Kazakhstan, they have to release political prisoners, they have to investigate political killings. And at that time, there was huge massive protest uh, in Poland, which started to violate rule of law, start to prosecute uh, judges, uh, lawyers, uh, prosecutors who didn't want to violate rule of law and politically prosecute people. And I became a voice for these people uh, on international area. Uh, uh, so what all of this government do, uh, did, they coordinated their efforts. They initiated smear campaign. They also requested other countries like Azerbaijan, Turkey, many others uh, whom, whom political prisoners we were defending. And this is how smear campaign was in uh, uh, 27 languages over years, like expanding and expanding. Uh, then there was mutual legal assistance requests to get my data to basically announce me as a threat to national security in these countries and uh, bring me out of um, like basically basically expel me from uh, the European Union. So at some point I was announced as a threat to national security in Poland, in, uh, in Moldova, Kazakhstan was persecuting me. And um, to overcome it, of course, we started to expose this political persecution. I got support from uh, many governments while a threat to national security in Poland. I was national interest in Germany, France, UK, Switzerland, Belgium, where I got protection in UK. Um, and of course, I can now travel um, easily in Europe. I cannot just go to for security reasons to Poland and Hungary, where human rights and rule of law violated. Um, but I, I, I am protected in uh, democratic countries. And with all of this situation, while these regimes were not able to basically remove me from European Union, I was able to continue my human rights work and end up in one moment being completely financially isolated, living in Belgium, living in Brussels, just 15 minutes from uh, by walk from European Parliament. I had no bank account. My organization was um, terminated bank accounts. My lawyers, my accountant, my over 600 volunteers, our donors, our recipients of donations, all of them were under attack. In some countries like uh, in Kazakhstan, some people were sentenced just because they were cooperating and got some fun um, funding from us, for example, to pay lawyers or to pay... Um, you know, um, so to support family for political prisons, to pay rent or whatever. So it makes me really scared at some point. So how it's possible with all support what we have from European Parliament, national uh, parliaments and, and governments from the European Union, we were completely financially excluded. Um, 
it just you know and we operated at that time we we don't use uh, we didn't use cash we use actually normal transaction we, we started to ask question how it's possible why bank without any explanation terminated uh, our accounts like four biggest bank and we tried to sue this bank uh, to give us answer but nothing unfortunately happened because there was at that time no regulation which put obligation for banks provide uh, for such organization like us any kind of explanation uh, or any kind of financial services. Judge said, you need to try better. The market is open for you. But it's not true because uh, um, NGOs uh, not generate profit at all for financial institutions and we just for them risk clients. And this is the moment uh, when our foundation, me personally, uh, our basically activists, we started to use Bitcoin. And um, this is how we survived, being under huge repression, uh, uh, financial exclusion, being in the heart of Europe. And we not only survived, we actually initiated reform of anti-money loan regulation, exposing that it's not only my case, that it's not only Bota's case, it's cases allowed around the world, refugees and activists who came to democratic countries. It's a lot of uh, um, people just associated with so-called risk zones. So for example, mm -hmm. we provide humanitarian aid to Ukraine. And one of our bank accounts was terminated just because of this. Or you fundraise to uh, support families of political prisoners or to support Ukraine or Afghanistan. This is also a reason why fundraising one, 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 yeah. one second right there. Yes. So <laughs> you, you helped humanitarian, you helped send money for humanitarian aid to Ukraine and you got closed down for exactly. that and persecuted. Yeah. Yes. Meanwhile, the United States has sent $50 billion dollars worth of money to god knows who in the ukraine for god knows what and the the rest of the european union i think has sent around the same amount of money to again god knows who for god knows what no problem like there's a hundred billion euros worth of dollars that's all gone but you guys you try and send money i don't know tens of thousands even just fundraise even just fundraise there is a problem when you do it on a smaller scale actually <laughs> You create more problems for a bank with compliance. They don't want to deal with you. Yeah. It's they think uh, it's um, you know they they're not gonna look what kind of war it is, right? It's somewhere on the back office. There's a compliance officer that makes a decision. Do I want to think whether they are sending to help Russians or to help Ukrainians? Is the money going to a military zone or a zone associated with a military conflict? That's it. Shut down the bank account. We don't want to have problems. We don't yes. want to deal with it. And that's it. So uh, this is, again, it's like, like uh, <laughs> there is a problem. There is a big problem that real oligarch, real money launderers, they are quite successful in doing yes. money laundering using the banking system. But small NGOs, human rights defenders, we immediately, we are the first to get out from the banking system, get financially excluded. Uh, because all this regulation It's because it's a clown and world and everything, everything is on its head. Like everything is completely inverted. Uh, yes. Okay, so... This, this is, again, it's a little bit... I don't want to go like on the, on the rant against capitalist system. Please, but, please rant. <laughs> no, but basically you, you need to understand those who have a lot of money and even like, like large organizations, right? They can go through this compliance. Banks are interested to have them as clients, mm -hmm. right? So they really invest their time to check all the information, to ask additional compliance questions, 
to actually help their clients to maintain their account and not get into any problems with uh, uh, with AML regulations, right? But with somebody like us, you have a guy like or, or a girl, right, who is go doing this compliance work, and they're thinking, "Am I going to translate all these twenty-seven articles and figure out what is correct, what is not?" Or I see this allegation, I see this negative information. Like, like, why this their bank account is like, like, like doesn't generate any yes. revenue for mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. It's more cost rather than benefit. Yes. And, and so- I will mention one more thing. Yeah. Uh, in my case, in case of Open Dialogue Foundation, we won historical um, decisions in the court. So we forced to apologize, Deputy Minister of Special Services of Poland, Minister of Interior. Uh, members of uh, the parliament from pro-government party, members of European parliament from Polish pro-government party, over 20 outlets controlled by the government, that they defame us, that they basically produce propaganda in many languages. And you know what? I have no place to go with all of these decisions of the court. I can no capacity to restore my banking because... In many cases, when we went to uh, and did request to Refinitive, they actually referred to all of this falsely stated uh, information from, uh, you know, Moldova, from Kazakhstan, from Polish government. And even after five years of fight in the courts, you can do nothing. You can literally do nothing. Your rights for financial uh, services would not be restored. That's it. Yeah, because all this negative information, it's out there, right? Mm. It's it's a li- little bit like, like, okay, you go to the world check and say, remove me from your database, clean this information, this is my proof. Okay, you can deal with one organization, but actually when they put you at some point uh, in their database, it gets picked up by, by ne- Lexus, Nexus, by all different databases, right? And it's all over the world already. So like, where are you going to go? How are you going to remove yourself? It's, it becomes impossible. And this is how Absolutely we explain regulators yeah. why you have no yeah. other tool for human rights be, uh, yeah. a part of actually self-hosted wallets, they call it according to regulation, self-hosted wallets, because we cannot use exchanges like normal, you know, crypto asset services providers. The same like with bank, our banking data after crypto asset services data going to be weaponized. So we mm-hmm. only can rely on peer-to-peer transactions on self-hosted wallets. This is how we survive. And this is how we protect people with Bitcoin, of course, only um, how we protect people in many countries. And that there's... <laughs> There's language being used here in Parliament, right? In in the exactly. European Parliament. Um, so self-hosted wallets, I think they're calling it's just unhosted, normal wallet. Yes, unhosted unhosted. wallet. Yes, <laughs> it's my wallet. Why it's unhosted? Yeah, it's, it's my wallet. You know. So that's the language <laughs> that they want to use wallet. on on the legislation to make it look as though um, unhosted wallets, in air quotes, are dangerous. They're in the hands of these money laundering exactly. terrorists that are you know running around running amok um okay i hope everyone's getting a bit of a picture of what's going on here uh, and especially so before we move into bitcoin again and, and let's like yeah. hammer this point home this is already really really bad but imagine this now with a central bank digital coin what they want yeah. to bring in uh it's going to be crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Then it's um, you know uh, we as people that very much believe in uh, protection of data, protection of personal data, and um, kind of 
controlled uh, uh, anti-money laundering regulation. We believe that it's definitely anti-money laundering regulation and countering uh, terrorist financing. It, it's extremely important, but it doesn't mean that it should become a tool for authoritarian regimes to go after people and organizations and basically destroy the civil society. And this is what we see now happening around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, with uh, CBDC, you know, it can become even way more easier. We get into the whole Orwellian state when it's, uh, you know, a total control of the state and uh, you can do whatever you want. And people are asleep uh, because they think, okay, we've talked about countries mm -hmm. so far, like you've Mm -hmm. you've named um, Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, um, and people might just like brush that off and roll their eyes or whatever. But you've also mentioned Poland. And yes. we also know what happened in Canada when they froze people's uh, bank accounts when they were sending money across to the um, the Freedom uh, Convoy. We also know what's happened in the US. They have Snowden on extradition charges because of um, his oh. truth-telling. Assange in the UK, held by the UK under extradition charges from the US. Everybody's at this. It's not just yeah. like a hotbed of um, ex-communist states and authoritarian dictatorships. No, we are talking about the the in air quotes the most Western democratic G seven nations that you know we get psyoped into believing are the most amazing free places on the earth. This is crazy. Yeah, there is one rule. Abuses yeah. happened everywhere. Uh, it just they extend, right? They extend. It, it's basically when it happens in the Western state, uh, you you can fight. You can there is a system that helps you to fight. If it happens in a country like Kazakhstan, you know, like like basically what happened to my brother one day, like he was coming out of uh, out of a, a mall with his wife, and uh, he gets at gunpoint arrested by uh, a group of people with guns taken home everything was taken from his house and then uh, he he got arrested and and uh, tortured and he was told that um, make your sister come uh, make your sister come back to Kazakhstan mm. and if you uh, convince her to go back to Kazakhstan we remove all charges against you. You will be released right away. And of course, my bro- older brother refused, and he was. Uh, it is like a very difficult period for for uh, my whole family. He was tortured for two months. He was held in comunicada, and it's only because of interference of um, Western politicians. At first, the torture stopped, and then we got access to him, and then. After two years, he actually got released. But, um, you know, there was a pressure that we managed to create in the West uh, on on the country like Kazakhstan. So, but within Kazakhstan, it would have been impossible, just impossible to do anything. Yes, and this is what I wanted to say, that there is like one rule. If you basically don't use your freedom, you lose them. 
And what we try yeah. to explain why we, for example, try to work also a lot with youth, why we why we actually doing work educating regulators, educating uh, legislators like Bitcoiners and also human rights activists. We created this coalition, Building True Change uh, Coalition, BTC Coalition, when activists who are victims of uh, abuse of anti-money loan regulation, when our data was weaponized, when we narrowly were kidnapped or killed, and how we use Bitcoin and how we ex how we deliver humanitarian aid to countries where traditional financial instruments, any kind of banking, just prohibited, literally prohibited for any kind of fundraising, any kind of activity for human rights activists and just family members of these people. When we explain it to legislators and regulators and say, guys, okay, if you're against Bitcoin, give us at least one instrument, just one instrument, what we can use right now to send family members of this political prisoner in this country money. Tell us how this person can survive if he's accused of being extremist, terrorist, threat to national security, money loaner, and all of this, all of this uh, very, very known fake accusation, but it lays perfectly and gives the chance for all financial institutions be a weapon in the hands of dictators. Referring to financial action task forces recommendations, this is, has, to, has to be addressed. And they have nothing to say. They say, Oops, it's market failure. No, we yeah. have to deal with it. So, and this is how we go doors after doors, explaining parliament to the parliament that we need to reflect in um, national and international institutions uh, legislation, how we as activists and human rights defenders using Bitcoin for humanitarian aid, for human rights. And they have to in include us, uh, for example, in sanctions territories where Russian opposition or Belarus opposition or Iranian opposition, they have no instruments how to support families of political prisoners, how to support activists who resist against dictators. There is the only yeah. one tool. It's Bitcoin. It's only one tool. It's wallet to wallet. There is no any kind of possibility to do it through exchanges. That's why we need specific regulation and uh, licenses for these people so they would not be debunked in uh, democratic countries. They would not be associated with all of this, you know, bad wording of financial action task forces. And we need to change this uh, language because Bitcoin is the only tool for human rights right now. It has to be recognized. Yeah, and it's only because it's not controlled by those authoritarian regimes, right? Uh, so the transaction is possible. I'll give you an example, like in Kazakhstan. If we're trying to do fundraising for a family of a political prisoner, for example, right? And, you know, we're really talking about amounts that maybe will sound uh, laughable for some of your viewers. We are talking about $300, right? Something like $350. It's just to uh, help a family. So you normally we put a bank account information, like a, a card for example right on a um on a facebook page of some activist right who's well known in the country and people trust but right right now kazakhstan authorities using like control of the banking system they block that bank account under five minutes under five minutes and then person who gives this bank account they can be charged with uh um, money laundering and financing of extremist activities and the same with donors. So you transfer $3 equivalent, like, like $5 equivalent to that bank account, you will be charged with uh, financing of extremist activities. And so it becomes impossible to help and impossible to raise money 
for example, for legal defense. And th this is when uh, we realize that we have to educate people, uh, mm -hmm. the community about use of peer-to-peer uh, -peer transaction, use of Bitcoin. And if you sent the $3 across, um, you might even find yourself on an Interpol list, right? As you were explaining earlier, as financing terrorist activities or extremists. Yeah, if you're within a country, you will be just arrested. If you're outside mm -hmm. of a country, yeah, they can add you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We have a case of one uh, member of the parliament who actually mm -hmm. supported our activities. He understood it quite easily once we came to him and started to say that, look, this is uh, Obin Vosu. He used to be a representative of a regulated exchange. And this is experience. He will explain why such people like us have no even chance to get access to any regulated exchanges or any financial institutions. And there is us, activists, who were deprived the right to have financial services just because of our human rights activity in Europe and also outside of Europe. No, 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 hold on, guys. You know, I try to send money, actually, as a member of uh, parliament to uh, basically politically persecute a judge in Turkey. And you know what? My banking was immediately frozen. So it also was a European <laughs> yeah. country. And he was like, okay. It's a you bank know? account of a member of a local parliament in a European country. Yes. Uh, like like <laughs> the bank account got frozen because he tried to help a former judge in Turkey. And because that judge is on the list of, uh, you know, he was uh, labeled as Gulenist, right? As a um, kind of, and they have this list in Turkey, list of um, terrorist, of, um, a terrorist and, and those who finance terrorist activities. And so uh, Turkish regime can add anyone to that list. And that list, you would think that, oh, but everyone knows about Turkey violating human rights. Nobody cares. It's the list. It's a database of terrorists, mm. people who finance terrorism. So immediately their banking gets terminated all over the world. Yeah. That's how it works. So it becomes a very powerful tool, very powerful tool. All right. This is, yeah. Okay. So now let's move to the problem at hand that we face at the moment as Bitcoiners with the policies that are trying to be made and the regulations that are trying to be forced through the European Union at the moment. So if uh, if you just want to, one of you take um, a topic each because there, there's a lot of attack vectors, right? So yeah. why don't we why don't we take one at a time? Yeah, let, let's like I'll give a general overview, right, and then Luda, you go into more details. Just uh, basically, uh, when we started using Bitcoin, we realized that uh, there there uh, there are basically three lines of attack on Bitcoin at the regulatory level, and first, it's related to basically. They label Bitcoin as an energy wasting mechanism. It's a threat for uh, energy security uh, in Europe, right? Then there is another line of attack. It's something that Bitcoin mining is environmentally harmful, right? It's, uh, and then uh, uh, the third line of attack, it's an instrument for money launderers, what we already discussed, right? It's an instrument for uh, terrorists. And uh, basically, it's um, kind of 
a general uh, general allegation that makes it very hard for us uh, human rights defenders to be associated with an instrument like that right if it's labeled as an instrument for money laundering this is how we started the process of our advocacy because we had to speak with the regulator and explain no no there are a lot a lot of human rights organizations a lot of uh, political activists that use Bitcoin and use it for the following reasons, and then we give them the reasons. But um, these two lines of attack, that is uh, energy wasting mechanism and it's uh, environmentally harmful, it's still kind of, there's a, a lot of work need to be done. It need to be done not only by us, but actually by uh, um, by Bitcoin miners, but Bitcoin enthusiasts, uh, advocates for Bitcoin. Plebs. We need the pleb army. Exactly. But like in US, for example. Mm -hmm. In US, there's quite active community uh, who mm -hmm. works with regulators and legislators, educating them. And whenever this attack, we see, we observe it on Twitter. We know that people go into the hill and they explain, they work on people on a local level with uh, regulators and legislators. And this is at some point, it mitigates risk. It's given more freedoms for um, miners in in US. In EU, it's completely other situation. First of all, it's just a few miners in EU, and uh, if there is, they actually prefer to move um, just once there is a threat to proof of work. But we, as human defenders, we cannot move. Uh, we actually receiving, as we have said before, support from Western governments to defend political prisoners. And we don't have other instrument, just uh, a part of Bitcoin. So we have to defend it. We cannot allow anyone who is uh, from one side, our friends, to defend human rights, to label the only financial instrument what we have, Bitcoin, and uh, proof of work, which is key. Uh, there is element of, of functioning of this financial instrument to label it energy waste or energy security. Imagine. Russian activist who is already uh, accused of being a threat to security in their country, use an instrument uh, which in public opinion in Europe um, will be associated with already European or global energy security threats. It's just impossible. You would not get donors. You would not get support for your activity. So we that's why we as a coalition fighting with this uh, uh, propaganda and we propaganda because we have a lot of cases, actually, and we know that um, actually Bitcoin mining now it's pro uh, environment. It's actually can help to develop uh, renewable energy um, uh, cases as much as possible and, and actually use of this energy. So what we need to, to address. First of all, there is ongoing attack from the side of European Commission, which actually wants to collaborate internationally with different standardization bodies to develop so-called energy efficiency label. Why it's important? Because Bitcoin can be actually labeled as an energy wasting mechanism or energy security threat. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't allow it because it will bring to the provision which European Commission states that states shall implement targeted and uh, proper, uh, proportionate measures to lower or even must to be ready to stop electricity consumption of uh, crypto assets miners. And there is only one crypto assets miners, uh, it's Bitcoin. So we don't want it to be happen. If we go to the uh, special report of um, uh, actually European Parliament's Committee of Economic and Monetary Affairs, we will see the same uh, basically bad wording. And it's, uh, let's say, follow-up of MICA regulation. So if during MICA regulation drafting, uh, because of um, actually, again, joint efforts, human rights defenders and Bitcoin community, attack for proof of work was stopped, 
we have to repeat it right now because yes. that's what's happening right now. We need as much as possible support from miners all over the world because the attempt from the side of both European Parliament and European Commission to expand globally these standards to label Bitcoin as actually this kind of, um, you know, wasting energy and uh, unfortunately yes. they call it energy security threat. But maybe you want to say yeah, about it, it just, um, you, you know, like there was a lot of discussion during the uh, um, like adoption of uh, uh, micro regulations, right, about uh, potential ban of uh, Bitcoin. And then, uh, you know, in March 2022, they basically uh, uh, th there was an agreement that uh, there will be no ban. Right. And everyone relaxed, exhaled and decided that's it. But the attack has not stopped. This is what Luda mentioned. There is an action plan that uh, uh, European Commission adopted. And uh, they really they are calling uh, a proof of work as an um, outdated consensus mechanism. And this is this is extremely dangerous, right, because they are already developing a methodology methodology standards how they going to calculate the environmental uh, impact of crypto assets and uh, of crypto assets and the, uh, their consensus mechanism and even in the description of uh, how the, this methodology should be uh, developed right now right now there is a tender that uh, European Parliament issued and, commission. Uh, uh, European Commission sorry and they're already saying that, uh, you know, that Bitcoin mining can undermine um, can undermine sustainability goals of the European Union that in line with the Paris Agreement. So they already have this language, quite negative language. And we know right now, we hear, uh, we all seen like, an, you know, the Bitcoin community was very happy about the KPMG report. They see that uh, you know, all these large institutional investors have interest in Bitcoin and people relaxed. People relax and they decide, OK, now Bitcoin is untouchable. But this is kind of two parallel realities, right? It's uh, like Marvel and <laughs> the regulatory reality, uh, reality in which uh, regulators live. But we need that those realities should intersect because uh, there is a problem. Uh, that uh, we kind of we got into Bitcoin because we love this uh, decentralized nature of Bitcoin, but now it works against it uh, because there is no community that can unite and kind of voice their opinion and work with the regulator. In Europe, uh, to I mean, in, in, Europe. in US, it's work. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. In, in US, it's a different story. But we are talking about the yeah. huge market, right? It's like 500, 500 million. And this is, don't forget, Europe, it's basically G7 countries, right? And this is, they set up the, uh, the tone for the whole world. And when the European Commission speaks, they always speak that it should be, the approach, their approach should be not only at the EU level, it should be on the global basis. Yes. So it means that okay. if we have this negative language here, uh, then it's going to be expanded elsewhere around the world. And yeah. we don't believe that uh, with this level of adoption, 
of uh, Bitcoin, this is it will be uh, very, very, it will have a very negative effect on the community. And as Luda mentioned, for us, it will be just deadly. We won't be yeah. able to use this instrument anymore. And it's super right. important to say that there is an ongoing second consultation paper uh, of the European Securities and Market mm -hmm. Authorities, which actually receive um, uh, you know, submission until 14th of December. And I call really everyone who is using renewables, who is, has actually real case example, how Bitcoin mining actually improving uh, energy security, how it's improving uh, actually environmental uh, situation uh, and, and boost renewables uh, and, and help to, to deal with waste and all of this uh, uh, kind of uh, materials. So please, please submit your testimonies. Call us, contact us. Uh, we will help yeah. you to bring it all together. We need these voices as soon as possible before 14th of December. There will be next stages, but we need to work on it and basically destroy yeah. the propaganda. So the the... the... The main ask of the community right now is any any Bitcoin mining companies out there in Europe or around the world, right? Globally, it doesn't matter. We need to show oh, different examples because yeah. they want to approach globally, right? And mm -hmm. they just referring yeah. to propaganda Bloomberg articles. So we need to have the best if we have European study because, of course, local politicians, they care about local examples. Yeah. So we need to have local examples, first of all. But of course, as we said, we know that there is few miners actually in uh, in Europe. So we need to have example from all over the world how actually Bitcoin became buyer of uh, energy of last resort how it's boost actually yeah. uh you know facilitation of, of renewables exactly, right? exactly. Uh, yeah. this is very important for us if we can find uh mining companies that actually can demonstrate that uh bitcoin uh facilitates adoption of renewables this this will be crucial, especially if we have uh, European examples. Yes. And a part of submission, of course, we need people who are not afraid, who are ready to talk with regulators and legislators who would say, yes, this is technology which I developed. This is, has this and this impact for this local community. It's actually boost uh, European mm -hmm. energy security or any kind of other country's energy security issue and protect environment. And we need these people to go with us face-to-face -face meetings to educate uh, regulators and legislators when they have difficult questions, when they have sometimes maybe not really the, the the most smart questions but we need to educate them yeah. and they are people they will listen the, we yeah. achieved huge results just for last year going together with obin Warsaw and many other um uh, bitcoiners who help us to uh, educate regulators and legislators and we for example have now spe specific reports which uh, open the doors to reflect and regulation in over 57 countries how we use Bitcoin for human rights, how we use it for humanitarian and, and what impact it has for actually energy and environmental mm -hmm. security. We need to work on it now to help it develop. If we don't work on it, then it will be presented by other you know, uh, people who actually promote... By other industries, basically, yes. right? It, it will be kidnapped and the narrative will be kidnapped by somebody else. So we have to make sure that we are uh, participating in the process. This is how democracy works. I'm sorry, but I have to <laughs> give you a democracy yeah. 101. If you don't participate, you, you're going to lose your freedom. If you don't fight for your freedom, you're going to lose it. And we like don't think that it's kind of far away from you. We always, always remember we won election away from uh, turning into a dictatorship. 
that's how it, unfortunately the world works and we have to fight for our rights yes. We so also need support, if I may also add, uh, from those who are running, for example, fundraising platforms or those who are actually developers of uh, so-called self-hosted wallets, just normal wallets, guys, which, which we use, because there is a special report of uh, Financial Action Task Force is just recently uh, actually published about crowdfunding. Uh, and the need to regulate it to protect us all, of course, against extremists and terrorists. This is a, um, kind of super important because um, self-hosted wallets and crowdfunding platform, especially donate, uh, donation-based, assumed now as a main tool for terrorists and extremists. And we afraid that this wording will be used again to eliminate, you know, uh, yeah. for us the main instruments, and it will be labeled again self-hosted wallets, peer-to-peer -peer transactions, and the as the main tool for terrorists and extremists. We should not allow this again. We need to go together again. We need to do this face-to-face -face advocacy, and unfortunately, it has to be done in the nearest future. So we need kind of mobilization and understanding and support from from this community. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, you see, it's Financial Action Task Force believes that uh, right now, all, all these instruments regulated at the national level, and they won't address it on the global level. So they want to have this uh, kind of, they, they will create their recommendations, and this recommendation will be uh, like, like mandatory to be adopted by all countries around the world. If they don't uh, adopt them, if they don't follow them, then uh, they will be uh, either greylisted or blacklisted. And that's quite serious for countries. Yes. So, and luckily, we have members of the parliament from different uh, countries who actually cares about human rights, who already got, because we work for, uh, for over a year and we conducted over 200 meetings with uh, different, over 15 plus uh, parliaments in the EU and across, uh, uh, and, and even far beyond the EU countries. And uh, now they said, okay, uh, we, we're ready to learn, bring us all of these cases. Bring us more examples uh, and let's do hearings, let's develop uh, uh, regulations and legislations. But but we need support from industry because we can only bring our use cases. We are not experts. We don't know yeah. how and what should be written, you know, um, and uh, actually explain to legislators and regulators not to affect industry from one side uh, when people really try to find ways uh, uh, terrorists and, and extremists. So, of course, we understand money laundering. We, of course, understand there is this risk and it has to be addressed. But at the same time, human rights defenders and legitimate users, they shouldn't be affected. And we have this unique opportunity. We even managed to meet and be heard by financial action task forces. This, I would say, was first time. Um, because again, we example of abuse, for example, in my case, three countries abused my banking data and anti-money loan regulation. In Bota's case, she was nearly kidnapped. And we have these kind of cases from all over the world. So this is the reason why they have to hear us because their regulation and their rules affect our life directly. And this is the reason why we think that it's so important that we are not alone in this kind of meeting, uh, but we go together with industry representatives and we can defend our rights together. Okay, so huh, um, big shout out for anybody that is willing to come and uh, and meet the regulators with you in, in Brussels, right? Is there a date? Not only Brussels. No, no, Brussels. It's all over the Europe. We, we, think, we uh, work with the key parliaments. We know which parliaments mm -hmm. work now on which regulation. Or it's fundraising. It, or it's it, it depends on an issue, right? For example, uh, when you, it comes to energy, there are certain member states that are key um, in, shaping in, this in, in shaping the European policy. So we have to work uh, 
uh, in uh, the parliaments over there, right? It's and... not only EU level, like clearly European yeah. Parliament or European Commission, because they always do consultation, for example, about proof of work. Mm -hmm. It's uh, already uh, left the stage of European Commission, so it went mm. to regional parliaments. So, and this is where we have to do work with the key uh, European uh, national parliaments yeah. and educate the key um, experts and parliamentarians who are developing, and, and then it comes to the level of European Uni Union, so European Parliament. So it will be back there uh, next year. Yeah, and uh, just kind of um, just to illustrate, you know, sometimes we deal with uh, politicians that know very well and understand very well uh, how, uh, how Bitcoin works, what is Bitcoin mining. And, you know, some of them have their agenda, some of them don't, and uh, they're open-minded and they just understand. But most of the time we meet people, uh, politicians, I'll give you an example. We had a meeting with a member of uh, one parliament of a member state, and um, after 20 minutes of our explanation, how we use Bitcoin, what it is for, he said, like, guys, sorry, um, sorry for interrupting, but can you actually show me Bitcoin? And <laughs> so he actually wanted to see an actual Bitcoin. Uh, and, and we showed uh, our wallet how it looks like. <laughs> yeah, we, we like all your unhosted wallet. Unhosted wallet, you know. Yeah. Oh but, my goodness. But that's uh we should not look down at, at those mm. people, but we need to understand that we have to educate them, otherwise, they're going to adopt the position of yeah. uh of the regulator. And so it's that not was, going to good. Uh, it's not going to be good for the community. Like, that, like, that was one of my one of my mm -hmm. questions and and uh, mm -hmm. concerns as well, because um, as you well know, in the Bitcoin space, there is a uh, a general lack of trust in politicians and um, policymakers and regulators uh, and governments. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I, I would my 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 question, I suppose, is. If we can get in front of the right people, how alert are they? Are, are they willing to listen? Are they willing to make a change? Or is there a career risk to them attached to their uh, understanding of it? Because if we go in and explain it, and then they've got to go to the European Commission or the European Union or the European Parliament and say, hey, like we got to stop and we got to rewrite all of these regulations. And they're the only guy in the room or only girl in the room saying that. That carries a career risk for them. That's why and it should be just... not only that, one person. This yeah. is first. And this right. is uh, where democracy works. So we have a privilege being in uh, European democratic countries that we actually can explain and build this coalition. We never work with one person. We work always cross political parties. And mm. we, for over 10 years, worked with uh, national parliaments, European parliament, and inter-parliament. Yeah, just, just, just explain that we need to make a difference between, uh, you know, bureaucrats right mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. people that have careers that uh actually those what we call regulators right, right. it's uh, national banks or uh, some task forces or commission european commission right they're bureaucrats uh those people that uh, go get salary and we don't elect them and then you have people that are actually elected politicians 
and elected politicians, it's a little bit different story, right? They mm -hmm. depend on those who elected them. They uh, they need to have this kind of reaction from people who voted from them, from their constituency, and they're willing to listen to. And so with their help, we open doors to the regulators and to the bureaucrats. And uh, as Luda mentioned, we work across party lines. We never uh, choose to deal with just one person and rely on one person. We have to educate a lot, a lot of people. Yes, and there are a lot of rules which actually give you right to access to information, actually participation uh, in a legislative process. We actually don't have this right in financial action task forces. This is what some we advocate. And we ask specific G7 countries, governments and parliaments to actually establish the same, like in case of Interpol was, uh, that they, Interpol has to uh, basically listen to the voices of uh, human rights experts on specific cases, the same we want to have in financial action task forces. So it's not too late when they already announce these recommendations and they by default affect all of our lives. We actually should have right to participate in before it's issued and before it's published. And it has to be done in every basically level of legislative process. Uh, and this is what we know how to do, but we need to have support. Um, and uh, I, I'm, you don't need to believe. You use your actually uh, the best formula, proof of work. You just go and to see what we were able together to do together with uh, uh, Bitcoiners and human rights activists across, across the globe for the last uh, for this year since 2022. And you would see that if you talk to regulators, if you build coalitions with parliamentarians from across the world, you're actually able to open doors and change this narrative. It's all about clear messages. It's all about motivation, use cases, and all truths actually on our side. Propaganda can be only destroyed when you enforce truths and you explain it openly. This is why we are open dialogue. This is why we talk to regulators. And I'm absolutely yeah. sure you don't need to trust you verify you go and you do a proof of work with regulators and legislators okay who would be the best person to come along with you uh give me a list of five people i'll see what i can do <laughs> <laughs> so we need minors minors is number one because we need to define proof of work so yeah. miners, miners, especially EU miners, if they exist, mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, you know we know some of them, but they are not willing to. They they kind of they worry, you know. They're not used to speak with the uh, with politicians. They have this negative attitude mm -hmm. uh, towards them. So, but we 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 need to uh, to have them on on our side because they have to come. Uh, and explain how they operate and and uh, why the law should not um, like basically I would say that answer difficult questions some difficult mm -hmm. questions is it is it a personal worry from the person that doesn't want to be put in front of the politician and regulator and or is it a more of a they don't want the company to be exposed do, do you have any idea of like the the reasoning behind they why they uh, wouldn't I, I think people don't trust they don't want to have their business exposed they don't know uh, where it's going to lead you know, mm -hmm. there are different concerns, different concerns. And I would say one more but, issue, uh, mm -hmm. because uh, when even we as an NGO struggled with anti-money laundering abuses, yeah. our lawyers advise us not to talk uh, publicly yeah. about it. And this Just, is why... Don't mention so that you don't have a bank account. Don't mention that you have your bank account closed. Be quiet about that. What This is yes. what 
this type of advice. And then it's, of course, uh, more comfortable for regulators mm -hmm. and legislators to say, okay, guys, but you are the first one who came to us with this problem. It's yeah. maybe just unique cases. Yeah. But the problem is that there is huge, huge self-censorship. Yeah. And this is something what we have to overcome. Look yes. in U.S. In U.S., minors are proud to be minors. Of course, it was a progress. Of course, it was fight. But if you don't fight, you don't have progress. That's why we say, yeah. guys, you need to fight. It's fine. You are living in democratic countries. We need to fight and we will be able to defend our rights. We shouldn't give up in all of our freedoms. Yeah. We, it's actually a good example that Luda mentioned, financial exclusion. We know a lot of um, people and organizations that lost their bank accounts and they are afraid to speak up. They're afraid. They they tell us, but they're like, no, no, you cannot have our testimony. This is like, we were told it's too dangerous. We were told that maybe if we try harder, we find something. So they're not willing to fight for their rights. And sometimes it's even, oh, I will use my wife's bank account. <laughs> so a person is willing to live outside of the financial system, but not to be exposed and not to fight uh, for his rights. It's it's very unfortunate. That's why they look at us and like, oh, you're just an extreme example. No, we're not an extreme example. We are really, we're just not afraid because we are used to fighting for uh, human rights and uh, mm -hmm. for rights of others. We have to fight for our freedoms as well. She and because be we were afraid. not silent, mm -hmm. yeah, because we were not silent, we actually established and we have like connections with mm -hmm. members of the parliament, Belgian parliament, mm -hmm. and we have now special law which guarantees actually a bank account uh, for everyone from civil society, even diplomats, people associated with us. So everyone who is using also crypto assets, because before, if you just use it, you would be immediately debunked. But we fight it for it. It was a process and we have it. We should never be afraid if we have truth on our side. Exactly. We do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's absolutely no doubt exactly. in, yeah. in that at all. Um, Okay, and I know you, you mentioned Obi earlier, Obi Nwosu from Fedi, uh, ex of CoinFloor. He, he's he's been angel. along with you. Yeah, he's, he's such a good sport. <laughs> we dragged him through so many boring meetings when he had to repeat the, yeah. the same thing over and One over. One day we had over 20 meetings and he, he never complained. He never complained. He never complained. And you've, you had Mark as well, I think, Mark Morton. Yes, from yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, Mark is just wonderful. Mark was absolutely had, charming, everyone. He yeah, incredible impact, people. incredible impact on the politicians. He's like mesmerizing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so two two great plebs there doing um, excellent work for 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 Bitcoin. So let, let's find some more. Hopefully, those people that are listening to to this, um, I will happily throw my hat in the ring if there's anything I can do to come and help you guys. If there are any mining companies out there in Europe that uh don't want to go along for any personal reasons i'm sure there's a way just you know add my name to like an advisory board or something i can go along as a representative of the company and you know fantastic yeah, <laughs> yeah. anything uh to, to try and the solution ed educate these people uh the right way because if we leave it to the mainstream media to to educate yeah, them as yeah, to yeah. you know what bitcoin is of course they're going to get the wrong idea Absolutely. and we've got the game theory of bitcoin is beautiful as well because we've got the the wind in our sails at the moment um like it or hate it it doesn't matter it's happening with the bitcoin etfs that are going to get uh probably uh the green light to be um to get the go-ahead in in the u.s 
so that's going to make a, a huge impact as well and start probably bringing, I hope, um, Bitcoin headlines, more positive Bitcoin headlines to the uh, the newspapers, which might get in front of it because it's been a decade, over a decade of FUD so far. Uh, so this tide has to change. Um, so anybody listening to this that has been inspired and can reach out to you, what what's the best way to to get a hold of you and, and get in contact? Through Twitter, through Telegram, Twitter. we're happy to share a, a contact yeah. signal email. So we yeah. it's it's easy to find us, but we're happy to give you, uh, of course, Daniel, our contacts, and you can just yeah. put it under this uh, video. Yeah, okay, so. mm -hmm. excellent. Yeah. Just Twitter right. is very easy way to contact yeah. us. Yeah. Final question I ask everybody. Uh, if you had one last orange pill, i.e. solid, packed pill full of Bitcoin information, Bitcoin top to bottom, you're going to get it in one, one pill, who would you give that pill to and why? This is a hard question because I don't yeah. want to have it for one person. <laughs> I always distribute it's... it and actually my networking activists for uh -oh. over 1,000 and I always say, oh, guys, we have new wallets. We Ooh. know how to use yeah. it. So I never think about one person. I think it's... Yeah. One person is dictatorship. Yes. One person is dictatorship. One, uh, we have to spread the information. Exactly. We don't believe of, uh, in, you know... We don't believe this is what uh, we've always been taught in authoritarian countries that, oh, there is nobody else. There is no alternative. So this person, only this person, who else no, but no, this no. person, right? Uh, we don't believe in that. We we think that this this pill, it should be, I don't know, mixed with water and spread around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should know how to use it because this is, this is what makes us stronger. Decentralization, yeah. completely decentralization. Yeah. And if people just want to donate to the, the foundation, they can just go to open... Uh, Dialect ODM. Foundation, yes. And we OB have BTC Pay. There is a special, okay. uh, yes, dot for, for Bitcoin donation, BTC Pay server. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And so people can obviously send Bitcoin if um, if they're so inclined. What about company? Do you, do you need other help? For, do, you, do you like give out hardware wallets to people if there are some companies that can donate? In, in yes, of course. Uh, but then we need also to have specific uh, like classes how to use it. Of course, we're uh, always learning from BTC uh, sessions. But if it comes about specific hardware, it's, it's, we, we need to learn how, uh, about yeah. it. Yeah. We, we need, need to, some we... training. We need some training. And yes. then if we get training, we can, yeah. um, you know, pass it along. Yes. Why, for example, we ask Obin Vosso to help us with uh, online wallets. And this is why we are so weight fediments and feddy up. Because in authoritarian states, uh, it's always searches in the houses of activists. So it can be easily lost uh, forever or it can be taken. So in yeah. our reality, uh, it's better to have uh, actually up and somehow mechanism how we can support each other. Yeah. This is why we really are waiting for, the, for this application and, and hope it's yeah. still all of us. We like the concept of these federations. <laughs> yes, yeah, and especially that we have chat there, you know, that we can transact and chat. This is super important for us. Mm, there, yeah, the, yeah. Come on, hurry up. Let's get it going. Thirty minutes. We're, we're ready. Yes, we need it. Please, please, <laughs> guys. We know that you do everything possible, but we need it. Too. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much to you both for everything that you're doing, uh, not just in the Bitcoin space, in the humanitarian aid, and uh, 
legal aid for uh, for people around the world. This is what, like we said at the beginning, this is what Bitcoin is all about. This, these are the episodes that I want people to listen to. I don't want them to listen to technical analysis and Bitcoin going to the moon. We're not here for that. That is not like that is not the point of this. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is not the end game. It's it's just the beginning. This is the beginning of a much better, more civilized world where we can uh, all interact with each other in a peaceful manner. And yeah, you, you, you're doing incredible work. So thank you. Thank you both yeah. for coming on and sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, thank you so everyone. Much. Thank you. Without financial freedom, there is no human rights. This is like golden rule yeah. you have to remember about. It. That's why we all have to fight for it. Amazing quote. Amazing quote. Cool. All right. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thank all you. Right. Thank you so bye bye, bye, guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode and learned a lot about what these guys are doing, the the battles that they are fighting, the help that they need. Are you part of a mining company? Have you ever been part of a mining company? Is there any way at all you can get us in touch with somebody from a mining company in the EU? Preferably, if not globally, because we need as well what the girls need, testimonials. They need testimonials from as many people as possible. They need to have a quick phone call with you to ask you uh, what you can add to this conversation and give a testimonial as to why Bitcoin mining in particular, and this in this particular case, this is the most pressing issue, why Bitcoin mining is not bad for the environment and why proof of work mining is absolute necessity for Bitcoin to succeed and for us to be able to use it and for the network to grow. That's what we need right now. Testimonials will be brilliant. In-person meetings would be the absolute cherry on the cake. Uh, so please share this one with as many people as you possibly can. We need the voices right now, right here, so they can get on with their work and take this fight to where it needs to be taken to and educate those in these in these positions who are being poorly educated. And as much as we can hate on policymakers, you know, they are basically being poorly educated. I believe and I want to believe with all my heart that if we can give these people the right information then they will do the right thing because because truth right that's what we're all here for at the end of the day and we've got to to help initiatives like this in any way that we can so that's the ask from from me and from uh, today's guests uh, Bota and uh, Ludmilla look out for all of the links in the show notes where you'll be able to get in touch and uh, help spread this message send this around as many people as you can like this isn't bitcoin focused so this can even go to friends and family don't even care about bitcoin and especially to those of your friends and family that do care about human rights uh, because this could be the the gateway to them to to help them understand why bitcoin is so important and not not just for other people but for their own freedoms like Ludmilla said she she dropped the mic right at the end there without financial freedom there are no human rights like I said, she dropped the mic. Nothing more to say. Let's close it on the show sponsors. Thank you, everybody, for the support. Thank you for listening. Show sponsors out of the US, a swan. You can go stack Bitcoin with them. Relay out of Europe. Hodl Hodl are global. Wasabi will help you up your privacy game. Bitbox for uh, cold storage, self-custody. 
a mempool.space to track your transactions. Thank you to everybody for listening. Let's go.